The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Special edition, special edition, special edition, special edition. Special edition. This is a Minutia Men special edition. We have put together for you a, uh, a compendium of highlights of uh, some of our uh, favorite interviews. Uh, the interview segment of Minutia Men has now been a part of the podcast for the last six months or so. Uh, please enjoy some of the great highlights that we've had for you over those last few months, uh, beginning with this one. Time now for the Celebrity Minutia Minute. Hey, you got a minute? Celebrity Minutia Minute with Rick and Dave. Okay, joining us on the show. We're very excited about this. A, a genuine rock star, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, a original member continuing to be part of the very successful band, the Buckinghams. Let me just uh, set the stage uh, before we bring Carl on. In 1967, the year that Sgt. Pepper came out, the Buckinghams were named by Billboard magazine as the most listened to band in America. John and Paul, you can suck it, right? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. They were kind of like the predecessors of that horn rock sound, you know, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Chicago, etc. But really, the Buckinghams came first, didn't they? Yes, we did. You know, we, we weren't. Uh, anyway, let me just say uh, thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, it's, our pleasure. It. it's our pleasure. It's, it's great. It's always a pleasure. You became the Buckinghams uh, after you signed the the label with the label, right? Or, or were you already no, known as the Buckinghams? We, we were already the Buckinghams. Okay. You know, we, we were um, when we won the audition. A lot of bands auditioned for that TV show, right. Time Hits. We were still the Pulsations. Okay, that's a cool <laughs> Great name. name huh? yeah. The Pulsations. And, uh, Sounds anyway, dirty. So, yeah. Well, maybe that's why they made us change. Right, <laughs> maybe. But the, but the other thing, too, was WGN, um, well, the, the station was pretty straight-laced at the time. And right. They, but they, they wanted to capitalize on the British invasion, mm-hmm. too. Makes sense. And uh, so they came up with uh, – actually, we, we became friends with a, a guy who was a security guard who worked for the station. Uh, his name was John O'Pager. John came up with, hey, why don't you call it the Buckinghams? And oh, we wow. thought – Wow, that's that's a cool name. Like, we couldn't believe there wasn't some British group yeah. part of the British invasion that was already using it, you know. So we started doing the TV show as the Buckinghams. Okay. And, um, um, you know, and then then we got the record. So it had nothing to do with the, the fountain? No, yeah. not really. That's no, funny. It, 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 it didn't... Um, I mean, we, we knew there was Buckingham Fountain and sure. everything. And as a matter of fact, I, 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 I'll insert this little story. When we uh, f- when they were going to release the Kind of a Drag album on USA, um, uh, they, they kept telling us, you guys better come up with a cover picture or something, cover design. Otherwise, we're going to just put a black cover up with your name <laughs> yeah. on it, you know, and uh, come up with something, you know. Make it snappy. So, <laughs> yeah. So we got this brilliant idea. One of our friends uh, had one of the first uh, Polaroid cameras. And we said, let's go down the Buckingham Fountain yeah, sure. and we'll take a picture in front of the fountain and we'll use that. You know, yeah. OK, we'll do that. So we get down there, we do it. You know, OK, it looked pretty good. Well, by the time they blew it up the size of the album, 
it was so grainy. Yeah, and, those, and those so Polaroids, was, right? Yeah. Oh my God! You know, there was just not like the digital world. You know, it, it was right. just it was just a you know it, all you see behind us is is a bunch of lights. And uh, you, you can't really tell it's the fountain. And yeah. we looked kind of grainy, too. But, you know, it's something about it. It was kind of cool looking, too, yeah. at the same time. You know, it was like uh, just a, a really cool looking uh picture so that's what they used and it was buckingham fountain behind us but like i said you couldn't tell what what that was back there just some lights you know so that was uh as close as we came to identifying with uh, the fountain you know so this all was happening just a year or two out of high school right so you're basically oh yeah so yeah and you're a lane tech grad right are you from lane tech right, right? lane tech you're talking yeah. to one buddy you're talking to another oh, yeah. lane tech grad um right were you what there? Year you, I, uh, what year did you graduate? Uh, I was 1981. Uh, and oh, the way after me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, but the front of my freshman year, we had to swim naked. Were you there for the naked swimming years? Yes. Is yeah. Kind of a drag, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. You know. <laughs> what a sick it, it was, thing that was. Yeah, I mean, like, people don't even believe that that really happened. Yeah. But they did it for years. Yeah, why did they? I don't know. Yeah. What was that all about? Yeah, you know? I, I think you don't uh, want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to know either. That was know? before the Me Too, the hashtag Me Too era. <laughs> exactly. There might have been uh, yeah. some creepy coach. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Exactly. Okay, joining us on the phone. This is a, a big moment Thrill. for us at uh, Minutia Men. We have uh, all-time Cubs great. Uh, he was a star on the Cubs when I was a kid and Dave was a kid. We used to watch him all the time. Good old number 23. He roamed third base and second base. I believe he played every position on the Cubs except for center field, pitcher, and catcher. Is that correct? Awesome. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know more about him than he knows about himself. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Carmen Fanzone, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, you played on the Cubs back in the 70s. You, you were uh, teammates with several Hall of Famers, correct? Yes, right. Billy Williams, Ron Santo. Fergie. Fergie. Fer- Fergie and um, um, let me see, uh, Ernie Banks. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ernie. Ernie. My, my first year, I came up in the end of 71, and that was Ernie's last year as a player. And I got to the last weekend of the of the season. I got to play third, and and he played first. So I got I got a chance to play with him the last weekend of the '71 season, and uh, then um, he became a coach for the next couple of years. And of course, I was there at that point. Uh, so was Ernie a good guy? Yeah, he was a good guy. He was uh, everybody loved him, and um, he just uh, he was Mr. Cub. Yeah. So everybody he was adored by everybody. Yeah, so now, back back in your day, you guys also, uh, when you went on the road, you had roommates, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I had. I, I was fortunate enough that that uh, Blake Cullen, who was the traveling secretary at that point. Uh, he said, anybody that plays a trumpet should have a private room. So, <laughs> You're going to so bother I, everybody else. Right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, got, um, I didn't have to room with anybody. What a great um, ploy. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, my first year. I might have roomed uh, maybe with Gene Heiser for a short time, but, but he said that uh, that's what he told me. He said, anybody that plays trumpet should have a room by himself. So I didn't, I didn't have to. to well, uh, well, if you played the room. drums, you'd get the whole damn floor probably, right? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Did probably. you travel with your trumpet? 
Oh, always. I always took it with me, and uh, I was always looking for, you know, I was just, I would always try to practice a little bit during the day, and, and at night after the games and stuff, even on the road, I was looking for places to play. In, in Chicago, uh, had, were, there, were there any CD jazz clubs that you would play? Because you had all-day games oh, yeah. in Chicago, right? Right, right. It was all-day games then. So I, uh, the first place that I that I sat in was the back room down on Rush Street. Oh, yeah. And I, I used to go there a lot, and that was uh, it worked out perfect for me because, uh, like you said, we were we were playing all day games at that point, and I met some musicians there, Judy Roberts and a bunch of other people, and Danny Long, and I would go sit in with them. And you know, um, Joe Pepitone, we've heard I read his autobiography. He seemed to be uh, someone who definitely liked a drink or two. Uh, did you see any of that with Joe Pepitone? Uh, and and plus, what's the story with his hair? Was that really a wig, or what? What are we talking? Yeah, he um, he was a distinct personality. He was um, <laughs> he was Joe Pepitone from probably the day that he was born, and he still. <laughs> I just saw that he just turned seventy seventy eight. I think he's a year older than me, and he had a wonderful career. You know, mm-hmm. he just. Uh, um, when I think of when I think of Joe, you know, I just uh, it was of course his his hair pieces and stuff are legendary. You know, right. and, and he used to. Um, he wouldn't go out to the national anthem, you know, because he didn't want to take his hat off. And, and <laughs> did, then, you, but, did you guys ever was, like hide his hairpiece before? Or he would have killed you, well, probably. No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't try that. But uh, and there was one time that he was, you know, that he was catching a pop up, you know, and it was a windy day, <laughs> and he was he was holding his hat down with his one hand and and, uh, and catching the ball with the other hand. And then another 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 time I remember in the clubhouse, it's the only time I ever saw him in the shower without his without his rug on. And it was just it was frightening. Yeah, right. Was it's like, a, right. Was, Who's that guy? Right. A, yeah, exactly. He was such a, a a vain guy that he was always suntanned, you know, and I mean he probably even went to, you know, tanning salons, you know, but he was so he was so dark. But then, without his rug, his top of his head was completely white, just yeah. like stone white. Just <laughs> never saw the light of day. Exactly right. You know, he looked like uh, looked like a ninety year old man in the shower. You know, but with his with his rug on, he was he was Joe Pepitone. Yeah, well, as a bald man, I think I'm going straight to uh, get a get, getting a toupee on the way uh, home from the studio today. Okay, joining us on the phone right now, uh, he's the vice president of CBS Photography Operations, but you may know him for something else, and that is uh, maybe one of the most iconic photographs ever the taken. The 20th century, definitely. Um, especially in the 20th century. People my age and Dave's age were in our late 50s. Um, Mid-50s, thank okay. you very much. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's, the, it's the photograph at Kent State, the, the massacre of uh, the four students um, by the National Guard. John was there. He was a youngster. He took that photograph that we have all seen a million times. Um, could you tell us, just paint the picture of what it was like on that day at that time? Well, at that time, it was, it was uh, the whole day was very surreal. Students were coming in, you know, uh, doing their photo work and saying, oh, you're going to go to the rally at noon. And I said, well, yes, I'm going to go. And it was about, I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can 
document student protest in America because I've, uh. I've missed everything else. So when I got to the other side of Taylor Hall, uh, the crest of that hill, I noticed that the large contingent of group, uh, guardsmen, about 80, 85, something like that, guardsmen are in helmets and gas masks, and uh, they're pointing their rifles at them. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is... This is the best picture I've yeah, ever right. taken. This yeah. is Hold it right there. Fantastic. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, and I'm looking around saying, did anybody get this picture? And I'm walking up the sidewalk saying, well, that, that was an interesting thing. I think it's all over. Only to find the guardsmen returning in a hurry, students fleeing, and I'm standing on the sidewalk, and it's in this uphill climb with steps and everything, and I'm dodging students, and the guard begins firing. And they're on the crest of the hill, and I'm about two-thirds of the way up the hill, and you hear, you know, you, you sort of hear the whiz of the bullet go by your ear. Jeez. And then you see, then you hear the, you know, the sort of the guns going off. Um, and I remember, oh, I said, oh, I got to get a, I thought it was a scare tactic. Uh, you know, other than once I heard that bullet, I knew it wasn't uh, go by. And before that happened, there was a, looked like a guardsman pointing a rifle in my direction. And he let loose. And in my field of view, immediately in front of me, was this huge metal sculpture. There's this huge clang, and there's this cloud of rust around it. And that bullet penetrated that sculpture and hit the tree to my right. Oh, my God. Took off a little chunk of bark. And I said, oh, my God, someone was using live ammunition. And I shocked. I just sort of dropped the camera around. You know, it was wearing around my neck. But... Uh, by the time I recomposed myself, it was it was sort of over, and I was angry that I didn't get a picture of the guardsmen shooting. And um, but I noticed around the metal sculpture there was somebody wounded. I mean, they were laying on the ground, people, you know, just starting to look at them and starting to minister to them. And as I turned slowly around behind me, because I couldn't understand how I didn't get hit. I mean, that was that was my initial reaction. Is, am I hitting them in a state of shock and I don't know it? Because there were people, the bullets on my right, and immediately to my left, if you look down the hill, was, was um, this body on the asphalt and a huge, huge stream of blood coming out of the neck area. Oh and uh, and not being a doctor or a medical technician, I said, well, my God, that person's dead. Just, just on the volume of blood in that few seconds. Um, I, I, I sort of elected to go that way, not not to where the wounded was, uh, person was, because already there was the guard had sort of reformed um, and, and left. Um, yeah, I stayed by the body of, of Jeffrey Miller, and uh, I wanted to. I, I think I sort of wanted to flee immediately after the shooting. And then stop myself halfway down the hill saying, well, it's all over. When you're when you running from now, you know, and then stayed with the body of Jeffrey Miller. And I do remember students screaming uh, in my ear about what kind of pig I am shooting in this picture oh, of this yeah. body. Yeah. Blood. And you just say, you just had to ignore it, you know. Uh, the, the, the general said, if you guys don't disperse, they're going to shoot again. Oh, my God. And, and now Unbelievable. Now you had time to think about this, and no one moved. And you went, yeah. oh, my God, I'm, yeah. I'm about about 10 people back. You know, like, yeah. how far will a bullet go through? How many bullets? <laughs> Rick and I would have been getting sandwiches for everybody. Right, exactly. We'll be right back, guys. <laughs> yeah. We'll be, we'll... Yeah. yeah, anybody want coffee? You yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, All right, you get a Reuben, you get I'll be back in a little... <laughs> 
Okay, joining us now on the telephone, uh, somebody that we've known for a few years, one or two years, a man who is known to Chicago television viewers as Fox 32's Dane Placco, a journalist, a reporter. I like how you just kind of did your Dane Placco face when you just well, said I, Dane Placco. I, I not <laughs> only there, did I did the voice and Dane the face. face. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, we, that's <laughs> all. Have you not been listening to our podcast, Dane? All we do is talk about you. Uh, so anyway, we have him uh, for just a few minutes. He's uh, literally in a stairwell uh, awaiting uh, his assignment. I, no, I, wa- I was in a stairwell. Now I'm in a parking garage. Oh, oh okay. okay. I went up the stairwell. I'm, I'm, you want me to do play-by-play? This is really fascinating. I yeah. walked to work. Yes. Hey, um, you got any homeless person there? that we can talk to <laughs> you know what actually there probably will be a if you'd like I can. so we should try to make this as uh, real of an interview as possible because dave and i are professionals mm-hmm. and you're a professional and one of the things that our listeners uh, would be most interested in is some of the stories that you've covered and for me the one story that, that i've heard you tell before which i could hear a million times is uh, the story of when you were in milwaukee as a reporter and you stumbled onto the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Can you please tell us that story? So, so yeah, it was a Monday night. It was like I think the summer of 1990, I want to say. It was a hot night. I'd worked a 2 to 10 shift, uh, 2 to 10.30, did something on the 10 o'clock news. I was working for the ABC affiliate up there. About midnight, I'm driving home, and to get home, I had to go down uh, 94, the main expressway that cuts through Milwaukee, east-west, that ran by the old county stadium. And as I'm driving down, I, again, my car didn't have good ac- air conditioning. Because uh, <laughs> you were too cheap to fix it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the windows rolled down. And as I'm driving along the interstate, I hear all these sirens. And I'm looking around. There. I don't see any smoke. I don't see any fires. I hear a lot of police sirens, fire department sirens. I thought, that's odd. I get home. And within a couple minutes after I walk in the door, my phone rings. And it's our overnight producer, a young girl who's just out of Marquette University, who was working at the desk and, and producing the morning show. I answer the phone, and she says, Heads in the refrigerator. <laughs> in the refrigerator. I said, Slow down, slow down, Kitty. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I said, What are you talking about? She's listening to the police scanner, and she hears the cops talking about finding some heads in this guy's refrigerator. And uh, I said, Nah, that can't possibly be. And she's probably just having some fun on the on the on the scanner on the two-way i said call me back if it's anything so 20 minutes she called me back and uh yeah it was it was jeffrey Dahmer, and we were all out there the the following day when they were bringing the uh refrigerators out and all the yeah well that that's a great story i love that story dave dave has one that he wants to hear too remember the uh, the one that happened in 2003 your, oh, your favorite oh, moment of oh, all yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Uncle Dane, tell the story when your heart got yeah. broken about Bartman and what was going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you just want to hear it because you're a Sox fan. This is, I've joked about this is like White Sox fan. Porn. Oh, it's porn. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. I, I'm on Pornhub right now. <laughs> porn Cub, not Pornhub, Porn Cub. Yeah, I was there that uh, infamous game six of the NLCS 2003. I mean, it was, a, it was on Fox, so we, we had the game on our air, and I was there covering it as a reporter. So I retreated to the tunnel behind Section 16 to watch the, the last inning and a half, couple innings go by. 
And I saw the ball off the bat that kind of curled the foul ball down the left field line. And I didn't see what happened because I was the tunnel sort of obstructed my view a little bit. But I heard this weird reaction from the crowd. And I asked the guy sitting up above me, I said, what? I said oh, some guy reached out for I couldn't really see. There was no video board at Wrigley at that time, remember? There was right. no replay system in the ballpark. So, you, you know, if you didn't see the play, you didn't see it. So that the, the you know you see a Lou going crazy something clearly had happened but I wasn't quite sure what and then it all started to fall apart and you know I don't need to tell you the story Dave do you want to recite the sort of details you probably <laughs> I can't talk right now memory, right? there's too much blood rushing somewhere right now I cannot talk right now. <laughs> Okay, this is an exciting moment for the Minutia Men uh, show. We have uh, a uh, world-famous author. He wrote uh, Politically Correct Bedtime Stories. That was his first book, which, Dave, do you know that it sold more than 2.5 million copies in the United States? I think that's about 2.5 million more copies than the Balding Handbook, The Five Stages of Grieving for Your Hair. It also has been translated into 20 languages. 20 more languages than the Balding Handbook. I think 19 more. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you got it. English. Good boy. Uh, 65 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. He's written, uh, you know, other ones. Uh, once once upon a more enlightened time, politically correct holiday stories. <laughs> Those were on the New York Times list. Uh, this man is a... Uh, He's a gazillionaire. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, he, well, he's charging us sixteen hundred bucks to do this. Did <laughs> well, you know I'm, that? I'm just excited to have him on, uh, uh, like an, an actual legitimate author on our show. Welcome to James Finn Garner. How are you, Jim? Good morning. I'm still waiting for the check from you guys, by the way. <laughs> it's in the mail. Yeah, you can wait oh, all yeah. you want, buddy. Uh, <laughs> hey. The real tapes. So anyway, your book is a New York Times bestseller. I think we've already established that. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I laughed out loud as I read it. And I remember thinking, because this was kind of my shtick for years, the whole uh, how ridiculous the the fairy tale stories that we were told as kids were and how mean they were and how 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 uh politically incorrect they were right but, exactly i mean i used stories that were <clears throat> sort of sanitized i used versions that were sort of sanitized but when you go back to uh actual brothers grim stuff it's really grim it is well named yeah you no know, it's cannibal cannibalization it's well, yeah i grew up uh with german parents yeah. so i mean they would they would tell me these stories you know in the original form and i would go to bed like <laughs> <laughs> you know my my, my father used to, his favorite story was that hansel and gretel story where they leave the children in the woods to die mm-hmm did he ever tell you that story, like when he's driving out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, uh, he actually one time gave my, my sister and I each a piece of rye bread and said he was taking us out to the woods to leave us there if we didn't stop fighting. Most pediatricians are not saying that's a particularly good form of parenting, but, you know, uh, my uh, I'll do one more fairy tale story for you. When I was a kid, my parents told me the story of Max and Moritz. Have you ever heard this one? No. I've been to that deli, though. It's really... Yeah, it's kind of like that. So Mox and Moritz were two little boys, uh, Jim, who who were told not to play in the mill uh, by their parents. And they didn't listen. And they went in and they played in the mill. And they were crushed in tiny pieces and spread out over the land to fertilize the crops. Well, that's 
Nice. <laughs> that's the story. That's the, it's a that's, circle of life thing. And we'll be back right after these. Uh, so anyway, let's let's get off this. Let's get off the fairy tales. Now you and I have gotten into uh, two musical fights on Twitter and Facebook. Um, <laughs> at, at one point, um, I made the case that if the Beatles had stayed together, that their 1970s albums. The early mm-hmm. 70s albums would have been better than the Rolling Stones. This mm-hmm. apparently was a bridge too far for you, and you were outraged. Please make, <laughs> would the, please make the case. You, well, for one thing, it's a huge leap to say if the Beatles had stayed together since they were basically kind of creating a part after 1968. Uh, and they, they – so their creative – time as a band as a foursome i would say was about five years long right because then it became yeah. a mccartney thing and a lennon thing and george couldn't get a song in and blah, blah 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 yeah so you have to get over that hurdle that they would stay together but their their actual creative time as a songwriting group was like five or six years right well yeah so, so fairly good years yeah well they were good years yeah, yeah. they're okay yeah and um I would point out that the Rolling Stones had those strong songwriting years from about 66 until about uh, 76, with a couple of things popping up and, you know, Keith's blood, whatever. I just think the Beatles, marvelous as they are, um, come from a tradition that that is not at the bedrock of rock and roll. They, they pursued Buddy Holly stuff and the Rolling Stones pursued muddy waters kind of stuff and that is the that is the core bedrock foundation of rock and roll is the blues okay well i guess you can't go back to the uh i've got you guys dumbfounded now well you're Uh, considerably smarter than rick no no i've already got my coat on i'm walking out the door right now and we're in in rick's mom's basement too which is off i won't be be home when you come here i won't be home when you get here (laughs) (laughs) okay I, you know, I'm not going to debate it with you anymore. We did on Facebook, but I just wanted to let you get your uh, incorrect opinion out there. Um, That's fine. Then the other the debate that we had on Twitter, in which I also outraged you uh, inadvertently. Mm-hmm. You two need jobs. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, you were uh, on a Roxy Music uh, rant, and I pointed out that I kind of like the song "Love Is the Drug." And wow, uh, please uh, let our listeners know what uh, what offense that was. Well, I mean, you could like songs. That's fine. I would not say that that's a good rock, Roxy music song. I would say that's a terrible Roxy music song. But you can like it. That's fine. There are terrible songs we all like. But the crummy, cute lyrics, the uh, lack of good guitar work, uh, since Manzanera was no longer with the band, um, the lack of experimentation, the uh, the lack of Andy McKay on saxophone, just makes that a throwaway party song. You know, instead of like remake, remodel, or uh, or even thrill of it all, like a booming wall of sound song, like thrill of it all, um, just knocks that song out, knocks love is a drug out of the water. Okay. It's yes. just, you can't sing along with some songs, but it's like, you know, it's just not it's not in the same league. It's just not. Yeah, take that, Rick. Okay. Well, I I did. I took it. I took it. I took I took not only uh Take it again. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, and enjoy it. Good for you. You know, I've been trying to take him down for 30 years. Thank you. 
That has been our special edition of Minutia Men. We'll be back again next week uh, with uh, with another edition of uh, a brand new edition uh, that will be uh, produced by executive producer Tony Lasana of Opie Productions. It'll be distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Next week's brand new edition of Minutia Men will return uh, right here. <laughs> The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Be sure to tune in to Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. Our podcast highlights the best soccer league in the world. The English Premier League. We recap the previous week's games. And preview the upcoming games. I do it from an American point of view. And I do it as an authentic Brit. Accent and all. That's authentic. Right, Governor? Not exactly how I say it. <laughs> we all also talk about the local soccer scene because Adam is the Illinois Youth Director of Coaching. If you love soccer. Football. Football. Tune in to Free Kicks. New episodes drop weekly on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. So, Lou, what's the deal with horsepower? I mean, we don't use horses anymore. Well, we like horses, and that's how it started, so these are our new ponies. At least we're living in the golden age of horsepower and doing our best to enjoy it like we do on the Car Guys Report and Formed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. I'm Lou Costable. Join us for the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You really think you can feed like 700 horses, Mark? 